Romans chapter 12, if you would, please. Romans chapter 12. Is this thing on? Romans chapter 12. Probably one of the most familiar passages of Scripture in the Bible. Many people can quote it. Sometimes I'm afraid we, we may know what the verses say, but we really don't stop and consider what it really says. So this morning we're going to look at this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The title of the message this morning is simply, The Lord is Calling You. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word this morning. Thank you for each one that you brought this way, and I pray that as the word of God is preached and taught, I pray it's the Spirit of God, who is the author of this blessed book, would open our hearts and minds to receive the engrafted word which can save our souls. And Father, not only save our souls, but conform us to the image of Christ. And I pray, Father, as we look at this, at the word of God today, that we allow you to have your will and your way, allow you to search our hearts, and allow you to take control, that we'd surrender our, our hearts and lives to you, knowing it is for our good in thy glory. Father, we do pray that beginning in our midst this morning who do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, never been born again, repented of their sin, I pray that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts, bring conviction and repentance, faith in thee. So you may be glorified, we do pray in Jesus' name, amen. As in many other of the epistles that Paul wrote, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 12 begins a little change in the book of Romans. First 11 chapters are more doctrinal. He lays down the great doctrines of justification. Of starts out with man's sin and his rebellion against God in Revelation, Romans chapter 1. And then he begins to expand on the fact that being justified by faith, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, and on through. And then the, uh, some of the other chapters uh, up to chapter, from chapters seven, 6, 7, 8, and 9 have to do with yielding our life to him and being servants of righteousness and so on and so forth and the spirit of God, how he works in our lives. And then, and then of course, as we've been looking at 10 11 dealt with Israel in particular. But now he's going to focus on applying these truths to everyday life. If the Bible doesn't affect your life, it is really not much good for you. The Bible is meant to change and affect your life for the glory of God and your benefit. For your benefit. It is for your benefit. God has written it unto us. He's written it to us. It is for our benefit. And, and, and Paul, you know, he says, I beseech you. The word beseech means to call for or to entreat. Kind of the idea almost to beg. 
In 2 Corinthians 10.1, he says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you with the meekness and gentleness of Christ, whom presence am base among you, but being absent, absent, I am bold toward you. Again, in Philippians 1, or Philemon, verse 9, he said, Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was beseeching uh, uh, Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. He was begging him to show grace and forgiveness to a slave who ran away, who in that day and time could have been put to death legally. So he was beseeching him. He was calling for Now understand that this call or this beseeching is not just a call from the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we read the Bible and say, well, Solomon said, well, Yes, Solomon may have been the man who penned it down, but Solomon isn't the one who said it. It was the Lord. It's the Lord's word. And so this is a call from our Lord who loves us and gave himself for us and who desires the very best for us. After all, he is good. He desires the very best for us. And so it is a call from him And I want you to notice, first of all this morning, it is a call of mercy. In verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The word mercies has a meaning of a heart of compassion or emotions or longings. Manifestations of pity, if you will. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, the Bible says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of of all comfort. In Psalms chapter 37, verses 25 and 26, the psalmist said, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. In fact, in Psalm 103, the, the whole chapter almost speaks of the mercy and the compassion and the emotion that God has toward Toward his, toward his toward mankind, toward his people. And, and in Psalm 103, verse 1, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses' acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it and is gone, place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting unto them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children 
to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. See, the Lord is ever merciful. A heart of compassion, manifestations of pity. And it is clearly evident in the Bible and the Scriptures during the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that He is merciful and showed great passion for mankind. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a demonstration of mercy and compassion. John 11.35, Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. He had compassion for the suffering. Uh, in Luke 7, He had compassion for the grieving widow and raised her son to life. The Lord had compassion on the blind, the lame, the grieving, the hurting, the hungry, and as sheep having no shepherd, He had compassion on people. And so this is a call of mercy. God in His mercy is calling us. He's inviting us. He's beseeching us. And we ought to be instruments of His mercy. Inviting people to receive of the mercy of God. So it is a call, first of all, it is a call of mercy. Secondly, it is a call to present yourself. Now, again in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word present means to place beside or near, to set at hand, to proffer, or to provide, to present a person for another, listen to this, for another to see and question. centurion delivered Paul to Felix. You know why he delivered Paul to Felix? So Paul could be seen and questioned. God wants you and I to present our bodies a living sacrifice to be seen by the world and questioned. And questioned. Second Corinthians three three says this. And this was the Church of Corinth, and often we we read about the Church of Corinth, and they say, well, they were they, they had some real issues. Yeah, they did. But despite the issues they had, they were a testimony to the grace of God in the world in which they lived. And, and he said in Second Corinthians three three, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink. But for the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So he was saying, you physically, you, your bodies are, are epistles of Christ. Seen and questioned. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, verse 13. 1 Peter 3, 13 says, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that of his good? Now, you, you would think, in our world, you know, people like to think well of everybody. And you would think, 
if you do that which is good, nobody will ever harm you. But is that reality? No, it is not. Because we live in a sin-cursed world full of wicked sinners who will take advantage of you and harm you the moment they have, if they are allowed to do or can get away with it. But verse 14 says, But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled. And here it is, seen and questioned. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So the Lord is calling us to present ourselves to Him to be seen and questioned by the world. Titus chapter 2. This principle is taught other places in the Bible. Titus chapter 2 and verses 7 through 10. And speak particularly here to young men. Titus 2, verse 7. Verse 6 says, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, verse 7, Titus 2, 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of a contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not prolorning, but showing, there's a word showing again, all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. You see, what the world is looking for is genuine Bible Christianity. It is not looking for perfect people but people who will practice what the Bible teaches in all areas of life. Truthful and honest, yet compassionate and caring. And when they do wrong, they admit it and confess it and endeavor to make restitution. You know, a lot of people are sorry for their wrongs, but they're only sorry they got caught. Restitution is the father of things from their mind. In First First Peter two again verses eleven twelve, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Talking about the unsaved, there it's not talking about this people group particularly, but the, the, the unsaved. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. See, the world is looking for Christians that are godly. And you know what godly means? They're godlike. That they can look to and say, there's something different about them. They have a hope and an assurance and a peace that I don't have. And when calamity, when, when it says here they glorify God the day of visitation, the day of visitation speaks of a, a when catastrophe or calamity strikes their house. 
because of the testimony of a child of God, they have someone that they can turn to for hope. For hope. For purpose and meaning in life. I've used this illustration before. There's a man I knew, wife and I knew in Pennsylvania. Willard was his name. He uh, was a appliance repair man. He had a neighbor who was an alcoholic. Willard said, I witnessed and witnessed to him. He was not interested. Until one day, he had a heart attack. And in the hospital, he said he didn't call his drinking buddies. He called me. See, in the day of visitation, he knew those drinking buddies could give him no hope. But Willard had something that could give him hope. See, God wants calling us to present ourselves to be seen and questioned for the reason of the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear. So is a call of mercy. It's a call to present yourself. Thirdly, it is a call to sacrifice. In verse 1 again, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, this is where many people cringe. Because if we think about a sacrifice, a sacrifice denies its own rights. It denies its own will. A sacrifice gives its life. That's what a sacrifice does. You know, sacrifice means to give up, to surrender, to offer yourself. And that's what God asks of us, to be a sacrifice, but not a dead one, a living sacrifice. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You see, when we, we got saved, when we repented of our sin, we gave ourselves to God. He bought us. He redeemed us from the slave market of sin and gave us eternal life. And so he's asked of us to be a living sacrifice. We are to give him what we have. You know, 2 Corinthians 8, 12 says, For there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. So we're talking here about, as we think about a sacrifice, there's, I have four sub-points. Let's think about a sacrifice. First of all, it's a living sacrifice. Now, the word living means having vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul. So having, having vital power. A living sacrifice is the one that has life. You know, we think about sacrifices in the Old Testament. They, what they did with the sacrifice is they killed it. No life in it. The life was taken from it. It gave its life. All those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament gave their lives to cover the sin of those Old Testament saints. And that was a temporary covering until Christ came and took it away. But God is asking us, our Lord is asking us, who is good to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And it is a 
sacrifice that has vital power in itself. Uh, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it is a lively, active, abundant, and free. Free from the penalty of sin. Free from the power of sin. It's a living sacrifice. You know, a dead sacrifice can only substitute or be in the place of. Animals died in the place of men. You know, God slew animals and clothed Adam and Eve. Something died in their place. But we, as living sacrifices, we really stand here in this place, in His place, here on earth, as witnesses. We are His witnesses. We're here in His place. We not only are His witnesses, but because we are a living sacrifice, we can also glorify Him by bringing forth fruit unto righteousness in our bodies. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.20 again says, For ye are bought with a Christ, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, we have the privilege as living sacrifices to glorify God, to serve in His place. He's gone back to heaven and He's commanded us to be witnesses unto Him, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So we're really here in His place. We are His witnesses. And through these bodies of flesh that are prone to sin, we can glorify Him if we'll yield ourselves or surrender ourselves a living sacrifice. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That word peculiar has the idea of a special purchase possession. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. And then in chapter 4 and verse 16, again he says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You see, you and I as a living sacrifice can be witnesses unto Him and bring glory to His name by our submission and obedience to Him, bringing forth fruit unto righteousness. You know, it still amazes me that God can use a sinner such as I 
Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. I, no, he didn't say that. He said, I am the chief of sinners. But God used him greater than all the other apostles. I guess we'd have to say he was, a, he was more surrendered. He was a greater living sacrifice, and he did sacrifice more. The sufferings that he bore, and he glorified God in those sufferings. Psalm 40, verse 33, or verse 3 says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and trust in the Lord. And so he, it's a call to be a living sacrifice. Secondly, it is, an, it is an eternal sacrifice. It's also you know, eternal living sacrifice. It's one, you know, it's, it, again, it's a living sacrifice. It's not one that dies. So, you know, we think of sacrifice, it means you're, you're dead. That's it. It's over. But with us, that's not the case. It's a living one. John 6, 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. See, the Lord asked us to surrender our own life to him, but in so doing, we are assured of eternal life and abundant life. Of heaven, the eternal joy, eternal joy and happiness and pleasures forevermore. They're all promised to us in the word of God. Thirdly, this sacrifice is a holy sacrifice. Verse 1 again. Seat you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is a holy sacrifice. Prepared for God with solemn rite, pure, clean, upright. You know, a good example of this was, would be Noah. Noah was a living sacrifice. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You know, Noah believed God. He stood against the world. He was willing to sacrifice himself. his own reputation. The world considered him an old fool. After all, what is rain? It had never rained before. And Noah all of a sudden said, it's going to rain. The Lord's going to judge this world by a flood. I mean, everything's going to be covered with water. There's going to be great torrents of rain. And they're saying, oh yeah, sure, what's rain? You're an old fool. He had to stand all against all his friends, all his relatives. The only people that stood with him were his own family. 
He would have been considered an old soul, an old fool. He was a living sacrifice. He stood against the world. He condemned the world in this wickedness. And he was alone. But he was a man of God. You know, Genesis 6, 9 says this about Noah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And in Genesis chapter 7, when the Lord told Noah to go into the ark, he said, the Lord said unto Noah, come down all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. You know, the Bible still teaches that God wants us to be holy vessels. First Peter, Jesus, uh, the first Peter the, uh, says that, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, we have a, a God who is holy, and He desires that we be holy in, 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 in our body and our spirit, which are God's. So it's to be a holy sacrifice. God desires clean vessels, and He uses, you know, He He uses us such as we are. But the 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 cleaner we are, the more useful we are. You know, we have we have quote dishes at home that we let the dog eat out of. It's called dog dish, but it doesn't go on the dinner table. And there are dishes we put on the dinner table that the dog doesn't touch. Because they're clean. They've been clean. The Bible says, Ye that bear the vessels of the Lord must be clean. And so God, it is a holy sacrifice. Prepared for God. For use for the Lord. I want you to notice also, not only is it a living sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice, it's a holy sacrifice, it is an acceptable sacrifice. Again in verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And the word acceptable here means it is well-pleasing. You want to please the Lord? Do you want to please the Lord? Surrender yourself completely to Him. There is nothing more pleasing to the Lord than when His children surrender completely to the Lord. There is nothing more pleasing to parents when then their children obey them. And our Heavenly Father desires that we obey Him. You know, He hath made us, Ephesians 1, 6 says, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin, put your faith in Christ, you've been accepted in the beloved. You've been accepted by God as a child of God. But He desires also that we, we, we give ourselves as a living sacrifice and acceptable, that be well-pleasing to Him. Romans 14, 17 through 18, for it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. So when we receive Christ, we are made righteous and we are equipped by the power of the indwelling Spirit of God to do works of righteousness. 
And God desires that we give ourselves as a living sacrifice. In all things, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 14 through 18. Philippians 4, 14 through 18. Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he says, Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to the God. Now, if you compare Scripture with Scripture and you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you're going to find this. What Paul says about the churches of Macedonia, and Philippi was one of those churches of Macedonia, he says they gave beyond their power, out of their poverty they gave, but they first gave their own selves to the Lord and then unto us. You see, the church of Philippi was a well-pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. They first gave themselves, and because they had given themselves, there was nothing withheld from God that they would not give. And so they gave out of their poverty to help Paul in his afflictions, in ministering the word, and in planting churches. See, it's a, it's a it's, it's to be an acceptable, it is an acceptable, well-pleasing sacrifice. And then I want you to notice the final thing. It is a reasonable sacrifice. Again, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, to many, I'm sure this would sound unreasonable. But God says that it is your reasonable service. The word reasonable, it means it's agreeable to reason or it's logical. You know, we often say around here, the Bible is logical. It makes sense. Two equals two in the scriptures. You know, and 4 plus 4 is still 8 in the scriptures. And there are no, are no alternative opinions. There may be in school, but in, in our school system, but there isn't in the Bible. Truth is truth. And God says it's logical or it's reasonable for you to yield your bodies a living sacrifice. Think, of me, think with me for a minute. Is it not logic to say that all men are created equal? That all have equal rights? Where did you get that from? The Bible. The Bible. See, in Christ there's neither Jew or Gentile, bond or free. You're talking about slaves and free men. You're talking about slaves and aristocrats. And he said, there's no respecter of persons with God. 
in either case. All men are created equal. That is a Bible. It's logical. It's a Bible principle. Now, not all men are equal. That's also a Bible principle. They're created equal, and they have equal rights, but they're not all equal. So that's confusing. No, let me explain. Some have more intelligence than others. Some have more initiative than others. And therefore, some prosper more than others. You know, we could do what, what some in our government today want us to do and are taxing us to do, redistribute all the wealth and make everybody have the same amount of money. And, and in five years, nobody would have exactly the same. There would still be millionaires and billionaires and there would be still people living on, uh, without, in poverty without. It's because not all men are equal, even though they're created equal. Jesus said, you'll have the poor always. We're always going to have the poor in this sin gross world. You're the commandments of God. They treat everybody the same. There's no respect for persons with the commandments of God. You know, it's logical that the best way to raise children is in a home with a father and a mother. That's not rocket science. That's what the Bible teaches. You know, creation is logical. It meets the definition of science. You know, you can come to logical conclusions based on the evidence, the observable evidence you have. And the observable evidence that we have in the world says there's a creator. You can come to that logical conclusion. If you don't believe it, plant a garden and let it evolve. And see how it goes. It's going to prove to you that it needs care. It doesn't get better and better on its own. You know, the idea of a creator is logical. Uh, you know, based on the Bible and historical evidence, we can come to logical conclusions that Jesus Christ was the son of David and he's the son of God who died for our sin and rose again from the dead. There is plenty of evidence to prove it. It is logical and reasonable and beneficial to us. Beneficial to us, not to him. What did he gain? A bunch of sinners saved by the grace of God. Do you know that there's no way to improve God? You know, when I got married, I kind of think I got improved. Yeah, amen. <laughs> My children think so. I would agree with that. It's made my life better. But... My receiving the Lord Jesus Christ didn't make my Lord's life any better. He was already perfect. He was already perfect. So it is a fool that says, no, God. It's logical. It's reasonable. 
it's beneficial to us. You know, wherever Bible Christianity flourishes in the world, there's peace and prosperity. Our country's headed for trouble because we're turning away from God. Not because we have wicked politicians. We have wicked politicians because we've turned away from God. And God is calling you and I to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. It will bring glory to him and great blessing and fruitfulness and fulfillment in your own life. But you must avail yourself of the abundant life that God has for you. You know, too many of God's children miss out on the blessing of God by relying on themselves. So it's a little like the man who was coming to America. And he bought a ticket for passage to America, but he was concerned about the expense of food during his voyage across the Atlantic. So he went out. He didn't have much money, so he sparingly used little money to buy crackers and cheese for his trip save money so he'd have more when he got here but on the ocean his crackers became damp and his cheese moldy and one day the smell of food just got to him and so he asked how much would it cost for a meal they asked to see his ticket and then said your meals are provided in your ticket See, God has provided for us to be a living sacrifice, bringing glory to him, a testimony to the world, to be seen and questioned by the world as to the goodness and grace of God. It's ours. Through surrender, full and complete. But God is a perfect gentleman. He won't force on you himself where he is not invited. He gives us the choice. So have you or will you respond to his call to be a living sacrifice? Have you made a conscious decision in your life? Surrendering yourself? And desiring to live for him. Maybe there's some sin in your life that's keeping you from it. Maybe you've never been born again. Repented of your sin. God is asking. He's calling you to be that. To present your body a living sacrifice. Will you answer that call?